Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast, another pregame edition. Game number five coming up at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time in Beaver Stadium. The Iowa Hawkeyes coming off back-to-back Big Ten wins, heading to Beaver Stadium, where these Nittany Lions still in search of their first victory of 2020. They own a six-game win streak over Iowa. That goes uh, back eight years, five of those games in the last five years. These teams have really continued to meet up. You'd think they were part of the same division at this point. They are not. They will meet in Iowa City next year, but Happy Valley is the setting this time around. We're going to talk a lot about this Iowa squad, what they bring to the field um, a little bit later on here in the show with David Eichholt, who covers the Hawkeyes for our 24-7 sports site. Uh, But first and foremost, Sean, bringing you into the conversation, continuing the conversation, quarterback is the hot topic here in Happy Valley. Well, there's a lot of quarterback talk this week, just not the quarterback talk where they actually name a starter and they want to get into it. I think we're pretty sure it's going to be Will Levis based on some slip ups, some, you know, just some reading of the tea leaves and of course hearing what you're hearing. Um, and I think that that's the right decision. You got to, you know, you're 0 and 4, you might as well give it a shot. Um, James Franklin said this week, uh, we're going to need both of them. And uh, I'm sure that went over like a lead balloon uh, based on how we've, uh, you know, what we've seen from Sean Clifford so far in the first four weeks. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm excited to see what Levis can do. I, you, you need to know going forward, if you want to be a team that, you know, competes at that level, you need to know what you've got in your entire quarterback room. And, you know, Levis is a big part of that. And I know he's more of a runner right now, but, you know, if you think you can develop a thrower, or you think you can be a guy that, you know, eventually, uh, makes your passing game a threat and, and it'd be nice to find that guy in house. So, um, I, I don't really, uh, think that there's too much to get into with quarterbacks. I mean, just based on what we've seen from Clifford in the first four weeks, I, I just don't know that there's any more that we need to see right now. Maybe he can, you know, take some time and regroup and do what he has to do. But, you know, the, the results have spoken for themselves. And I think that they say pretty clearly that it's time to, to give Levis a shot. There is very little several lining situation to pull out of this spot that Penn State finds itself in. That you know, preseason quarterback competition like we saw last year after Tommy Stevens left and kind of knew it was going to be Sean Clifford, but Levis was was involved there, and you know that's kind of a fun com- conversation to have. And and someone's going to be the fresh starter and and go get it. And and I've said this before. I know I repeat myself on the conversation, but this is not a case of Will Levis being the shining star backup who's just too good to keep off the field. You like elements of what Will Levis brings to the football team and what he could do for this offense, but this is about Sean Clifford through 16 career starts, failing to make that convincing case that he should still be the guy um, getting those first team reps. And and it's an unfortunate circumstance for for Clifford, but again, it's not like you have an ascending figure. This is more 
okay, we're going to have to see what Will Levis can do. And, and you keep your fingers crossed here because I think very little um, is guaranteed with what Will Levis will accomplish a, as a quarterback, as a, as a passer specifically. And we're going to find out against an Iowa team uh, that surrendered seven points in each of its last two contests. This is an Iowa team that should be highly motivated coming to town with those five losses in a row uh, in the last five years. If you're a, a fifth-year senior on this Hawkeyes roster, you have lost to Penn State enough. And, and so motivation across the way is going to be there. You should have plenty of motivation on your own sideline, though, and what you're doing to, uh, on Saturday if you're Penn State. Have never started a season 0-5. This 2020 version of the Nittany Lions doesn't want to hold that record in, in, a, in program history and certainly considering how they started the season and, and people are pointing to all these all-time marks of teams that began as a top 10 a squad and, and and how they finished and where Penn State is in that conversation it's not a great not a great part of the narrative that you want to be in in the college football storyline all time and so Penn State looking to uh, avoid further kind of uh, humiliation to the 2020 season um, you, you do wonder um, going into this matchup how they're going to start that's that's got to be the storyline here outside of the quarterback are they going to be ready to play right away but and not fall into that same hole. But quarterback play has been a key there. The turnovers have been an issue early uh, in the first half last week. That was part of the reason why you found yourself sliding. Um, I- I'm just not sure that that there's a lot to read into here, even if Will Levis is the starter. Um, I think you're going game by game on, game on your evaluation, not saying that Clifford's back in uh, against Michigan State or against Michigan or against Rutgers, but more so is Will Levis week by week going to build a case for him to go into this offseason as your starting quarterback, as the guy who has the edge in that starting quarterback conversation, or do you realize by the end of this thing that your starting quarterback is either not playing yet or not currently on the roster, and that's that's a concerning conversation, and it's something that's going to continue to carve its way out over the course of these next four or five games. And and quarterback rooms are so fluid. I mean, you know this when when you've seen it, we've seen it all all over college football. Is you know you've got guys that are studs that are moving on early in their career if they're not playing, and you know Penn State, I'm not sure has that guy, and everybody wants that guy, that Trevor Lawrence, the Justin Fields that steps in when they're a young player and and does you know the the kind of things that those guys do, and it's just they're, they're very few and far between. Um, but you know if you can you know, sit back and develop a guy like Will Levis or develop a guy like Taquan Roberson to, to, to be that guy. I mean, that's kind of what you have to do. You can't rely on the portal. I think the portal will be an option in the off season, but you can't really rely on that, uh, that really to come through for you because I mean, it's just, uh, this, you look at the situation and it, it's, it's far from a sure thing. So, uh, curious to see with where that goes in the big picture, but in the small picture, this is going to be a very interesting game for quarterbacks because, uh, you know, Penn State's got their issues, obviously. Iowa has a starter. Uh, I wouldn't call it, a, you know, uh, one of the top guys in the Big Ten. I wouldn't call it, uh, you know, a solid showing by by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Spencer, Spencer Petras, uh, four interceptions to three touchdowns this year. So it's going to be probably an ugly game from a passing situation, which is kind of what you expect from Penn State, Iowa. Let's be honest here. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a, probably a funky game flow. David Eichholt, we'll get into that a little bit later about Spencer Petras. Really, 
a potential Achilles heel for this Iowa team. They feel really good about what they have in a lot of spots. Their defense is playing well. Uh, they've got weapons on the outside. They have a very good duo at running back with Tyler Goodson and Makai Sargent. But with Petros, three interceptions thrown against Northwestern and a one-point loss there. He's completing 53% of his passes. And in fact, uh, they've done a nice job kind of taking the heat off of him. And, and w- the last couple of weeks, Sean, uh, 24 total completions in the last two Iowa wins. So it shows you that, that Petrus probably hurts this team more than he helps them. But of course, I feel like we've had this conversation about young quarterbacks and then we've seen them go up against Penn State and they have impressive games. That has not been part of the theme with Iowa, though. Uh, Nate Stanley and his performance over the three years of his career was very up and down and it was very much down Every time they seem to collide with the Nittany Lions, and that was a big part of the reason why Penn State and his three starts went 3-0, and along with those late heroics from Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley, and Jawan Johnson in Kinnick Stadium back in 2017, of course. But uh, focusing in, I, I, I don't want to get past the conversation because I feel like I just kind of dumped on, like, kind of, if you're excited about Will Levis, you shouldn't be. This is his opportunity. If he's the guy who trots out there for, for, for you know the first series of this game, 0-4 isn't really the label being applied to Will Levis. It's, you know, he's part of the team. It's tough, but he can separate him from himself from that. He can start to separate the program from that start, rough start, and maybe provide some glimpses of hope if he comes out and that spark continues. I've just said... I'm always cautious to, to think that whether it's the NFL or college football, you see that spark from the next quarterback who comes in. It's a fun story for the week. And then, boom, hits a wall when, when he's the guy in the next game. We've seen it play out so often. It played out last year with Will Levis, really, against Rutgers. Um, and, and we'll see. Uh, David Eichholz seems to think there'll be an opportunity for, for Levis as a runner or Clifford as a runner. Um, I will say this, Sean. If Clifford is the first guy out there and he gets this starting nod and, and starts once again in, in five straight games here, there's going to be a lot of Penn State fans that are going to be tempted to turn the game off before it even begins. I think that's where they're at with the situation. Um, and and I, I, I'm not totally sold yet that that may, just may, end up being the case. But I, I lean heavily towards Will Levis being the guy that they put out there. And I lean towards us not knowing until probably within a half hour of the game. Yeah, and uh, it, it, you know, I, I get it. I mean, just based off of what we've seen from James Franklin from a loyalty standpoint, you wrote it today. It uh, didn't really go over all too well that uh, they wanted both of them to be available. They wanted needed both of the quote unquote needed both of them. Um, it, it's going to be really, really interesting if that comes out. I mean, there's not going to be fans there, but if there were fans there and that happened, oh boy. I do think, Sean, it's it's important to note, and I noted this in the story because that that's that's a quote that pops out needing both of them. But I think it also shouldn't take that to mean you need both of them to be taking snaps and throwing balls and, and handing the ball. It's more so you don't want Sean Clifford checked out. You know, he's a two-time team captain. He's a guy that you want to be having engaged on the sideline, on the practice field. And whether he is your starter or not, I, I think you know there was a tremendous example set. Uh, last week by uh, by uh, Martinez, uh, the quarterback for Nebraska, benched. He's a two-time team captain. I don't know if you saw the speech he gave to Nebraska before the game, knowing that he was not going to continue his streak as the starting quarterback for the Cornhuskers. That goes a long way. It resonates. You know, I, I think Sean Clifford's the kind of guy who's going to handle that well, but I took that comment more from Franklin to, to mean we don't need both of them to be, you know, splitting snaps in a game. We need both of those guys 
engaged on this team. We need both of those guys um, as, as influential figures in the locker room. Um, that's kind of more parsing through it. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe maybe Franklin's going to give Guy two series and then throw another out for two series, and that could be disastrous. But I do know that if Sean Clifford is standing there for the first drive and watching Will Levis run onto the field, that's going to be a tough pill for him to swallow. A really tough pill. He's this built up, you know, all the way back from being a sophomore going into junior year of high school quarterback, imagining himself as a player who could do great things at Penn State. And he has had some moments, but for, you know, even going into October, he could have never seen an 0 4 start, his job completely on the line, maybe taken away. But as we talk about this, he may already know that he doesn't have the job for this Saturday as we as we discuss it. Um, that's a tough pill to swallow, but it may unfortunately be the medicine that this Nittany Lions program needs right now. And first, I think you're absolutely right with your point about, you know, and having those guys in different capacities ready to go, whether it's, you know, with a headset or whatnot. I think you're absolutely right. Um, but I think you know the impact of those words when you say something like that in a situation that you're in right now. It's it's obviously a del- delicate balancing act. I mean, you don't want to lose anybody. Um, but, that you know, that's kind of the situation that you've put yourself in. And, and like we said, I think we were talking about Liam Clifford last week and, you know, if you're Sean Clifford, you got to understand, you know, this, this, this is a product of your play. This is a product of the, the, the performance that's gone on so far this year. And it's really tough to argue with, uh, with how things have gone. That is. And turnovers just, again, we mentioned this stat last time, uh, five of his last 10 possessions with this Penn State offense ended with a turnover. Two of them led uh, to uh, fumble recoveries, four touchdowns, points produced on the on the interceptions. It's just not something that this Penn State team has proven to be good enough to overcome. And, and most programs can overcome that level of turnover. And when he's not turning the ball over, it's not like he's looked comfortable. This has not been kind of a boomer bust situation. It's been a kind of a stall, the occasional boom and a lot of bust moments and you know the lights also going to shine brightly here on Kirk Shiraka it's going to be his second quarterback that he'll be working with if Will Levis is a starting quarterback it's not going to make any difference it's not going to all of a sudden mean that they had all that spring practice time and and they had a normal tune-up to the season but look people are tired of hearing about that this is going to be the second quarterback you get to see running this offense you're down a couple running backs. There's no doubt about it. We'll talk about this in a moment. Pat Fryermuth, where is he from a health standpoint? Didn't appear to be fully healthy against Nebraska, that's for sure. Um, but Kirk Shiraka, he's the guy we talked about working with quarterbacks, the things he's done in his past. This is important to, to see how this is reflected upon him and then in, uh, ultimately how he's going to reflect back to this quarterback room when he makes some interesting decisions uh, going into this offseason. Yeah, that, that entire offense is under the microscope right now. I mean, you can talk about Chiraka and, you know, the play calling, et cetera. But, you know, if you don't have it from the quarterback, you, you pretty obviously don't have it all around. And that's the big thing that, that we've seen through four weeks. The offensive line, of course, in the uh, crosshairs as well. We had a, a handful of questions in the five-star mailbag and not really trying to single any of them out. But, like, just when is that offensive line going to come together? And there's really not much that we can we can point to to say that this is something that, uh, you know, this is something that's a quick fix or this is something that you know if they do this and this then you know it should result in some good things phil troutwine talked to us a little bit this week and and talked about how things were coming together the transition obviously has stalled a bit given uh, you know how they've had to prepare in the offseason that was something that you know just reading over his comments it, he didn't really want to dwell on it and use that as an, as an excuse but it's something that was acknowledged and it's you know it's tough to teach guys over zoom how to do their past sets and things like that and um so he, he kind of you know credit him 
he didn't really fall back onto that. But even though he got asked like three or four times, um, he seems pleased with his tackles, you know, and I think that that's a good way to start. I think that, you know, Will Fries was when he was in there was playing well, um, but, but they, you know, there was just a need to slide him down there. They were getting really nothing from that left guard spot. So they slid him down and got Caden Wallace uh, ready to start at right tackle. And Rasheed Walker continues to improve uh, just Again, you just see so much talent. I know there's been some, uh, there was some lapses early in the season. Of course, Ohio State, you know, will make a lot of offensive linemen look bad. Um, but Rasheed Walker, I think, is coming coming along fairly nicely. So I, I, I don't think it's the disaster that many people think it is. I think that, uh, and once again, going back to Clifford, I think Clifford made them look, um, you know, a little bit uh, less competent than they were. Um, but there's still work to be done, especially in the, that interior. So I'm excited to see what those guys can do. Um, you know, you get get something going in the running game, get, uh, get to, you know, just anything really, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it sucks that we're saying that. Uh, but but I will say this, there was a, a five-star mailbag question about how there's been no no improvement through the last seven years or whatever when Franklin's been here. And that must be some just uh, top-notch blocking out what we saw in 2015, you know, 2014, 2015, uh, because wow, uh, this, this is a much better unit than, than was in place at that point. Even if it may not seem like that day in and day out, I mean, the, the talent level's better, the coaching is better and the, you know, just the all around, uh, you know, performance of the offensive line is better. So, um, you don't want to go back to that 2015 and, and have to relive that, but I think that they, they've made some strides and I think they've been better than, than being, than they've been get, given credit for. You've made the point a few times uh, as far as the perception of how this offensive line is performing. Sean Clifford has contributed to, to that in a certain way that does not really put it in a positive light. I think also you say, well, you're missing two of the Big Ten's top running backs. And uh, were there spots where this offense would have looked better if, if they were running the ball and finding the holes and, and, and hitting those creases and, and, and getting to the second level and making the offensive line look good? Um, at the same time, I'm very hesitant to give a pass here. And, and I know that people don't want to hear about any passes being given this year but it is true that Phil Troutwine had five winter workout like walkthroughs that he f- had filmed and then it turned out that he needed to lean on those in such a big way he had he was basically breaking down film of those five walkthrough sessions and, and trying to turn to that with film working with the players remotely over the course of their time away from campus, uh, trying to work through uh, showing them examples of guys in college or the NFL going through what he's talking about from a technique standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, even filming himself going over some of this. But that's why these guys are in their hometowns watching from their living rooms. You're trusting that they're going to go in the backyard, I guess, and do it. And you're not getting that live time feedback. So a big challenge there. I mean, Franklin said this week, this is a terrible year to be uh, adding new components to your staff. And, and they've added quite a few, especially on offense. Um, I, I do think that Troutwine inherited a pretty good room in terms of, of talent. Um, uh, folks out there, I've seen, well, he has no talent. Uh, you can't, well, I think he does. If you trust what we do at 24 seven sports and the evaluation, there's a nice, nice group of blue chip talent in that room. And you're starting to find out more about Caden Wallace and why he was considered a high level prospect in the 2019 class. Uh, he looks like you're starting right tackle for now and for the long term, I would say, uh, Rashid Walker, 
I think you're right. Looking better than he did earlier this season. I, I think he's got another test here against a, a strong front from the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, and, and this will be another moment for him to take that step. And Troutwine said something interesting when he was discussing a lot of these guys who were four and five star players. And remember, Michael Mennett was a top 30, 35 prospect in his class as well. He says he's got a lot of guys with talent. The key is getting them with the no talent things. He said that no talent, no talent things a bunch of times during this call. And he was referencing all the things that anybody, you know, a, a 275, a 75 pound walk on um, can, can accomplish that you can accomplish. But you have this built in talent and you can build off of that at a higher rate. It seemed to be something he brought up steadily over the course of this, the details, the technique. He says he went back to his career in the NFL and with the Florida Gators, you know, trying to learn learn the new verbiage, trying to understand what new expectations are in place and how important it is uh, to, to, to kind of work collectively in accordance with that verbiage and, and, and with the expectations of a new coaching staff. And Matt Limegrover was the guy for, for most of these players for several years. Um, it's been a difficult transition. Uh, you know, I think he kind of didn't want to lay too much blame on, on anything, particularly the circumstances. Uh, but I think also he's going to find guys that maybe he's going to see, he's going to probably rule out some guys that maybe we thought would have brighter careers at Penn State because they're maybe not excelling at the no talent things. Guys that we have talked about because we covered their recruitments or guys that we talked about because they came to campus with those accolades and we kind of laid out a path for them at Penn State as, you know, trust in the talent. Eventually they'll get there and they're going to be multi-year starters for you, for you. And right now, you know, he's assessing who can do those no talent things. And at the end of the day, that could ultimately rule out some, some players that we thought had bright futures on this offensive line. And at the same time, maybe usher in a a few guys that, that exceed expectations or begin to meet it in different ways. Well, let's be honest. I mean, you and I both came into the season thinking, okay, uh, you know, adding to the run game, you've got guys that can run behind it. And obviously that's a, you know, a different situation now, but CJ Thorpe was going to be that guy that, you know, we thought could be the road grading guard and that, you know, in kind of fit him, this sort of scheme really fit his uh, style of play really well. And it just hasn't taken off and it hasn't been the, it hasn't been the case. So I think that that's really something. And, and we've seen some comments in the last couple of weeks. James Franklin said some things. Phil Troutwine said some things that, you know, they, they still are hopeful that he can factor in, but, you know, he's got to be better. He's got to, you know, do the little things that, you know, maybe we haven't seen the no talent things as, as you said. So uh, I, I think that there's certainly, um, you know, hope that these guys can come in, come back and round into form. It's just, it's a very interesting group because you've got guys with a lot of natural talent. You mentioned Walker and Wallace, um, a lot of natural talent. When, when they mess up, you know, they have the ability, they have the athleticism, the bend, uh, the flexibility or something like that to, to recover. And, and, you know, it doesn't look like a mistake. Uh, a guy like Will Fries, a guy like Michael Mennett may not have that ability and that that opportunity to do so. So you've got, you know, a, a sort of a, an eclectic mix of, of guys from a talent level standpoint, from a, you know, development standpoint and, and where those guys are at. Juice Scruggs was a guy that was mentioned as, uh, you know, they're hopeful about him. And I still don't know that that's going to take off this year. But if you can get something, get, get him back into, uh, you know, how they thought he was going to develop after his redshirt freshman year, then you've got something there. So that helps. So I mean, the, the numbers, the talent, I, I don't think that that's, you know, the, the biggest issue right now. I uh, would like to see them come to come together a little bit more and, you know, be that zone blocking team that we thought that they, you know, they really would be. And that we thought, you know, if they given a chance to work together, they that they could be. 
And uh, we, uh, Franklin has talked about this before, just felt like this unit in particular, probably maybe more so than any other, really could have benefited from three non-conference games to, to get their bearings, to find the right fits, to kind of rule, to kind of weed out some issues maybe and, and, and realize we don't need to invest this many snaps in this particular player early in the season. We've seen enough in the non-conference to know maybe this year he's a too deep guy, not a starter. I'm not specifically mentioning CJ Thorpe, but, but maybe CJ Thorpe. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of the situation you run into when you start off with the Big Ten and Ohio State's the second team on your schedule sets the stage for, for some tough moments and we'll see if they take a step here. It would be nice to see forward momentum across the, the roster, I think specifically on the offensive front. And uh, By the way, one other spot here, Des Holmes also at guard, not available medically last week according to Troutwine. He's a guy who has been involved in that right guard spot and Sean, I do wonder if now it feels like things maybe are fortified on the right side. Caden Wallace at tackle, uh, Fries at guard We'll see. I mean, they could mix it up again. They sh- could shuffle things up. It feels like that's a good co- that's a good formula right now. I feel like on the right side, I do wonder if left guard is now a spot where you see some movement. Mike Miranda has been the guy there. Drew Scruggs has gotten time, but Des Holmes, we don't know the severity of this. We don't know if this is a long term medical issue or if he just was missing one game. That's also a factor here. But I, I think you could continue to see other guys rotate in. I'm just not sure that I would mess too much with that right side and maybe see what you've got there for a bit. That's kind of where I'm at with it. I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, and James Franklin mentioned it on Tuesday that having a guy like Will Fries in there to help him with the calls and to help Wallace with the calls is something that certainly could benefit him, at least in the, in, in the immediate future. So I agree with that. I think you, you keep the right side and and they're going to play a bunch of guys. I mean, they're going to play seven or eight guys, um, your own four. I, I don't see a reason why not to. So you know, you rotate those guys through there and see what you got, and then you know, kind of mix and match. I don't think you're going to play with center all that much because it's going to throw everything off, especially if you're breaking in a new quarterback. But those guard spots are certainly still up for grabs. Uh, from one medical update to another, uh, Zach Koontz, it turns out, has not been available, according to James Franklin, who, who mentioned that on his radio show on uh, on Thursday evening. Uh, that's something that might be more notable moving forward because Pat Fryermuth also appeared to be pretty banged up in that Nebraska game. If you watched him trying to get to the end zone on that 74-yard reception that, that ended at the one-yard line, that didn't look like Pat Fryermuth that we're accustomed to seeing. I, he's not the 80-yard touchdown guy, I get that, but just physically doesn't seem to be there. Really going back to that Ohio State game, I would gather, and um, this is a guy who's gutting it out, it, it looks like to me, and, and the fact that he's gutting it out for a winless football team uh, when he was one of those players where if he, he was to opt out, you kind of got why. Um, he's a two-time team captain. I think that he might be the captain on this team it, 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 when it's all said and done. Um, and and it's been tough to watch him go through that this year, Sean. It started off so well. He broke Mike Kosicki's all-time tight end touchdown record. Um, I don't want to do a post-mortem here on his career because we don't know. I mean, he could be back out there on Saturday. He could look better. Um, you know, maybe 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 this isn't as, as severe as it could be. But you do wonder with the way the season has gone, with the way his NFL fortunes look for 2021. You can't fault the situation if it makes sense for him to focus on the future. Um, not saying he will. He told us a couple of weeks ago that he had no intention of doing so, of pulling the plug. He was in it to win. He was in it for the long haul. He committed to to be with this team, and he and he planned to see that through. Um, but it, it's it's another one of those. Hey, stop me if you heard it before. Unfortunate storylines developing for Penn State in 2020. Yeah, and and really, you couldn't blame him for for if he was frustrated because you know there were times when it just 
ball was not even close to him. He was he was getting open. He was doing his job, and 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 unfortunately that uh, that really didn't happen. We talked about I think Kyle Pitts in in the preseason and talked about how these guys might be dueling it out. I mean Pitts Pitts had a guy getting in the ball pretty regularly, pretty consistently. That hasn't happened for Friar Muse. So I'm interested to see more of uh, the young guys. You mentioned Koontz hasn't been available the last couple of weeks. Brenton Strange is a guy that's played a good bit of football this year. And you, you look at the snap counts and he's been, you know, they've, they've relied on that two tight end set, uh, you know, fairly regularly. I think Strange played a little bit more last week, was a little bit better in the run game. And, and it seems like James Franklin is excited for that uh, freshman duo of, of, of uh, Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren. Uh, don't know that they're quite ready to make a dent in, in what they've – in a game day situation, but you know, they've got a lot of talent. They're working through that. I think Warren probably needs to get a little bit more physical. He's a former high school quarterback. So that's understandable. Johnson's got a lot of ton, uh, has got a ton of natural talent. It's just getting there to, to, to get that on the field will be something to, uh, to watch in the next couple of weeks. And like I said, if you know, this, the, the, at zero and four, why not give him a shot? I, I mean, I, I guess you could, potentially see them out there this Saturday. Probably wouldn't be that big of a surprise to see Theo Johnson, you know, get some run. Theo Johnson, former Iowa Hawkeyes target. He had them in his in his final group uh, down the stretch of his, his recruitment. One last note here as we're talking past targets. Uh, sh- quick shout out to Jahan Dotson. He was added to the Bolitnikoff Award watch list uh, for the nation's uh, top receiver. 23 receptions, 388 yards, five touchdowns on the season. He leads all Big Ten receivers in touchdown catches. Um, and he is third right now in receiving yards. So he stepped up as a junior, not coming off of his biggest game. In fact, probably his least productive game against Nebraska. Took a back seat in that one to some of the freshmen in terms of production. Uh, but you know, kudos to, to Jahan Dotson. Yeah, he, he's he's earned his way on there, and that's that's good to see, especially because you know you weren't sure if he was a number one guy, and I think he's pretty well obviously established himself as this team's number one. We're going to take a quick break and then come back with David Eicholt. He's going to go deep into this Iowa Hawkeye squad. Six straight losses to Penn State, five of them coming in the last five years. What should Penn State fans expect to see when they hit the field? Where are the weaknesses? Where are the strengths? And what does this matchup look like? Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For a fifth consecutive year, Penn State playing Western Division foe, Iowa. Uh, they got another matchup next year in Iowa City, and then that'll kind of end things for a bit. But it's been remarkable to see these two teams playing as though they shared a division. And that means we get to welcome back Iowa insider David Eicholt from the Hawkeye Insider, which is our 24-7 sports Iowa hub. David, nice to have you back. We spoke last year before my trip out to Iowa City. No one's traveling much of anywhere this year, so we won't get to share the press box this time around. But happy to share the podcast with you here for the next few minutes. Yeah, Tyler, it's good to be back. Good to talk to you again. Like you said, we're all travel restricted. I still need to make it up to Penn State's area, but uh, very much looking forward whenever the opportunity may arise. Well, this time around, 
the Iowa Hawkeyes carry in that losing streak against Penn State. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But these two teams are coming in from very, very different momentum swings. Iowa started the season like Penn State 0-2, but has rebounded with two convincing victories, 49-7 over Michigan State, 35-7 over Minnesota last Friday. And Penn State has dropped two more to go to 0-4. Um, where is Iowa right now in terms of making sense of, of the program status in 2020? Yeah, I think the optimistic point of view for from Iowa is I think they've gotten better every week. I think even if the first week it was the David Bell show with Purdue, who I think is the best wide receiver in the Big Ten, even above Rondale Moore, perhaps more in the top three or four in the country. I think outside of that in Northwestern, they love those, you know, scrummy, awful, ugly games, but it's a Pat Fitzgerald special. But Iowa, I think coming back when they were 0-2, I said it before, I thought that was one of the most important games in Kirk Ferentz era just because of all the events that happened this summer um, with obviously the racial disparity allegations. But the team pulled together. They they blew out Michigan State, then they blew out Minnesota. I think the run game, it looks like mid-2000s Iowa. I think they have a dynamic back in Tyler Goodson. I think the front five, including the tight ends, and wide receivers, their run blocking is the best it's been. The big question mark, which was my biggest question mark hanging into the season, is Iowa still getting subpar quarterback play, despite having a very good group of receivers. Iowa's passing game just looks so, it's just weird. They really don't try anything downfield, maybe one a game. They really don't do even 10 to 19 yard routes. It's more so they're doing laterally, as in two, three yard dig routes, maybe in routes, out routes, and expect the receiver to make the play. Uh, Spencer Petras, despite not being sacked much this year, he just looks uncomfortable in the pocket. So I know Penn State loves to blitz. And I think if I was their defensive coordinator, I would send all out blitz every single time at Petras and make him beat you through the air because that's just not something he's done this year. Yeah, Petrus, well-protected. Uh, I believe they have the best conference uh, rate and, and sacks allowed per game uh, through their first four games here. And uh, that leads me to another point here. Uh, Nate Stanley and his deficiencies against Penn State really was the tipping point in a lot of the matchups mm-hmm. between these schools the last three times around. It, you know, He just did, couldn't come up with a, a strong performance in really any of those games that were able to provide any separation or keep Iowa in, in, in catching up late in, in the game last year. Um, what do we see from Petrus? I mean, is this a liability on the road at Penn State where, um, you know, the Nittany Lions, if they can kind of ruffle him or is it more of uh, this is a guy who's going to hand off as much as he can and try to survive as the game manager? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question, Tyler. And you bring up Nate Stanley. Nate Stanley was such an interesting case, too, because he had moments of just absolute glory, whether it be five touchdowns against Ohio State. His first career road start had five touchdowns against Iowa State. But then in the other 11 games through that season, only produced 16 touchdowns, remained undefeated against Minnesota, Iowa State, and a couple other guys through his career, but can never get over the Penn State hump. As far as Spencer Petras, I think that Iowa is going to try to give the ball to Tyler Goodson, who I think is a first, second team uh, all-conference back. Makai Sargent, the one-two punch they have back there. uh, It's been, again, I think it's been fairly dynamic. Um, As far as trying to survive, I think that's the big question mark for me because I think Petrus is starting to feel the heat turn up a little bit as far as job security goes. I know Penn State has their own QB controversy right now about who might start this week. Spencer will start, but I think unless he shows a big surge, I think that, you know, again, I think just from the fans and coaching staff and even his teammates' points of view, I don't think it's his job to keep. I think that there's so many different interesting dynamics to him. 
because like I mentioned earlier, he does not get comfortable in the pocket. I think at times he gets those happy feet and, you know, you can tell if a quarterback gets happy feet, something bad's going to happen. Right. And I think another thing is he tries to escape the pocket when it hasn't collapsed yet. And that is also just completely uh, derailed Iowa's offense at times. I think Iowa is going to have to be a little bit more aggressive. I think they are going to let Spencer Petras throw maybe 30, 35 times. I think that's a healthy number. Anything above that. I think Penn State wins if if Spencer Petras throws more than 36 passes. Iowa traditionally, when they throw the ball that many times, they don't do well. Um, but as far as I think it's going to be a typical Iowa offense, they're going to try to get the ball going on the ground game because Tyler Goodson's one of the few backs. Reminds me of Akron Wally can make something out of nothing. And I think that they're going to try to get short, quick routes um, over the middle to try to get Petras in a rhythm. But the other thing that really derails Spencer Petras and his ceiling as a quarterback, he is so locked on to one receiver. He does not look at any other secondary targets. Of the 18 throws last week when I went over the film, he locked in on his primary target. 15 of his 18 attempts. So, I mean, there is no progression going on. So I think, it, and I think that's going to be a big detriment in this game, especially if Penn State sends the blitz because he won't have time to go through those progressions and he'll force throws that ultimately just aren't there. Over the course of those two wins I was coming off of, they only asked Petrus to complete 24 passes. Well, they asked him to complete more than 24, but that's what he completed. He only's <laughs> He's only completing about 53% of his throws on the year. He had those three interceptions against Northwestern. That proved to be a one-point loss. And uh, still, a couple wins, convincing wins. So there is momentum. And offensively, over that course, 10 offensive touchdowns in two games. You mentioned Goodson, Sargent being the mainstays for this offense right now, both averaging more than six yards per carry, nine combined rushing touchdowns for the four games. Um, what's a realistic number for, for the involvement of those guys? Goodson's the lead back, but how much will we see Makai Sargent involved? I think right now, I think it'll go Tyler Goodson, probably 60, Makai Sargent, 40, and maybe they'll sprinkle in Ivory Kelly Martin, who just is a speed back, but I just don't trust him to be able to break those tackles that Goodson and Sergeant Ken, I think if I think Goodson, I think the ideal number for them will be 20 carries. And I think they'll try to target him on a couple uh, running back halfback screens. Makai Sargent, uh, he, he's more well known for his his pass protection. Goodson still struggles with that. He doesn't know how to really read those gaps and recognize those blitzes quite yet because he's a younger running back. Um, but as far as the workload goes, I think that Mikhail will probably get 12 to 13 carries. If he's hot, maybe he gets up to 14. I think Goodson gets 20. I really don't think Iowa, realistically, if they can run the football, will try to throw more than 25 passes. I don't see that as a winning recipe until Petrus can get in a rhythm and can regain some confidence. And it is a little bit, you know, I granted, I know it's high school, but it's still worth bringing up to me. He was a great high school player in California, broke Jer every Jared Goff passing record from Marion Catholic. As a senior, he had 50 touchdowns and two interceptions through 4,500 4, yards, only playing half of some of his games because his team was blowing him out so much. But I think he was used to just really dominating the competition. He didn't really get much rep uh, in, before you know he took over the starting job with no spring, and Nate Stanley was such a staple at quarterback. I think the lack of experience and lack of um, preparation as far as being named the starter, allowing to go through the summer workouts and the spring workouts. I think that's taken a toll on him. And I think being thrown to the fire immediately with big 10 defenses has also really kind of, kind of hurt him. And I don't think that he's seen a defense quite like Penn state. It's going to bring the table. I could see a couple of their linebackers, even without Micah Parsons having a big game, I could see Shaka Tony maybe really taking over a little bit, but uh, it, it's going to be very interesting. I'm very I guess I hate you using the word, but I'm very interested to see what Brian Ferentz 
really schemes up because I know for a fact that this is a game he wants really bad because, again, he's felt over the last couple of years that uh, it's just slipped out of Iowa's grasp. But as far as what Petrus can you compare to Nate Stanley, right now I don't really see a way that I can expect Petrus to really over overdo or overshoot uh, what Stanley was able to against Penn State, which ultimately wasn't that much. So Iowa's run game is really going to have to get it going, I think, if they want to walk out of, of Beaver Stadium with a win. Uh, some some other complimentary pieces here offensively. Complimentary is probably not enough to, to to describe the importance of the offensive line. Three sacks allowed. The ground game is is rolling at a very efficient rate. Uh, but then also beyond that, on the perimeter, the wide receivers. It feels like that's probably an an untapped, underutilized position right now for wide for for Iowa, considering the issues at quarterback. Can you mm-hmm. tell us more about the outside of this offense and then up front what they've got cooking? Yeah, and I've said this, and I'll still stand by it. I think Iowa probably has a top four wide receiver core in the conference. Very experienced. Remember, Emir Smith-Marset was suspended for the game against Michigan State uh, following OWI. Brandon Smith, I think, has been very underutilized. And if I pick any player outside of the running backs to potentially have a big game, I'm circling Brandon Smith. He's been a tremendous run blocker for Iowa this year. Remember, he had that circus catch last year when Iowa was trying to come back. I mean, that, that's been the norm for him. He's an absolute freak of nature, six foot two, 220 pounds. I, I think he has the physique of a Greek god. I mean, he, there's just no fat on him. 42-inch vertical, I believe, uh, size XXL hands. He is a perfect red zone, perfect X target. He has a couple touchdowns on the year. He was not targeted once in Iowa's game last week, and he's a three-year starter. I really expect Petrus to really look his way and Brian Ferentz to go his way uh, to get that going. Another couple of guys you want to keep an eye on, Sam Laporta at tight end. Really struggled the last couple of weeks, but he has shown me at least that he's going to be a future all-conference caliber tight end. Emir Smith-Marset, I'm waiting for him to really show what he can do and get in his rhythm. Obviously, All-American kick returner last year. Very good wide receiver, 724 receiving yards. But I'd also keep an eye on Tyrone Tracy Jr., who I think is one of the more dynamic wide receivers when he gets an open space, very fast, very strong guy, can play a lot of different positions. And I'd also look at Nico Regani, who led Iowa in receptions last year at that slot. He's a very short area quickness kind of guy, those 10 to 12-yard routes, and it's just proven to be a very, very reliable weapon for Petrus. But again, Petrus has to go through his progressions to actually be able to spot those guys. Both times we've seen this Penn State team in Beaver Stadium, David, it has been pretty ugly in terms of trying to corral the opposing passing attack. It was uh, Tonga Vailoa with Maryland, mm-hmm. fields, with, fields with Ohio State. A lot of concern about that. But as you said, uh, Petrus has fallen short of maybe being able to facilitate uh, the usage of those targets that you just mentioned. Defensively, Iowa, you know, things are the numbers look pretty darn good. Uh, obviously, giving up seven points on back to back weeks is a good thing, but they're getting takeaways. That's one thing that this Penn State defense is really struggling with. Three turnovers forced through four games. Iowa is second in the conference in interceptions with eight of them. Uh, They're second in the conference with sacks, uh, 11 of those through four games. What's working well for Iowa? Where are the strengths of this defense? And then if you could uh, pinpoint some weaknesses that may be exploitable heading into this matchup. Yeah, you know, I think Iowa's defense, by the way, I, I hate saying this, but I got to admit my faults, Tyler. I had more questions about Iowa's defense hanging into the year than, at, than on the offensive side, which is something I never thought I would say about an Iowa team. With losing A.J. Epinesa, with losing Geno Stone, with losing middle linebacker Christian Welch, I mean, there was a lot of guys that had to step up, but I think you look at number one, 
Davion Nixon has been dynamic in the middle. I mean, he's among the the nation's leaders and tackles for loss per game. He's getting double, triple teams, still finding a way through. Six foot three, incredibly athletic, fast guy. He actually hopped in on scout team quarterback. I just found out about 20 minutes ago yesterday. But that's just the type of energy that he brings to the table. Um, I think wait, wait, that, wait, 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 wait. We got to go back. Is is uh, is he playing the role of Will Levis, the hard charging no, quarterback I, runner? I, I, I'll tell you what. He uh, it, it's it's pretty crazy how fast he is. Apparently, he threw a great deep ball spiral, went about fifty yards. So, I mean, as far as just pure athleticism goes, he uh, I, I don't it was, know. It was, it was I an don't interesting that, story. I don't know if that means more about this the standout defensive tackle who has seven <laughs> tackles for loss, or about what Iowa expects from Penn State's quarterback play. I, that may be a toss up. You know, what, maybe it was. I think it was around the final play of the, the practice. Maybe they were just trying to have some fun. I'm just. Yeah, it was. It was a really funny story, though. Uh, like you said, Iowa's been uh, spectacular uh, interceptions. They've recorded at least one interception in 11 straight games. They've had a pick six in 18 of the last 20 seasons, at least one. They've already had one this year, nearly had another one last week. Riley Moss is a ball hawk on the cornerback. Uh, Matt Hankins has really evolved his game. And Iowa, I think, too, is only going to get better with uh, Jack Campbell returning. He had mono, missed the first three weeks of the season, played last week. He's gained 40 pounds in about 14 months on campus. He came in at about 193, and now he's a starting Mike linebacker. Uh, But Iowa, as far as shutting down the run game, they've been spectacular. Uh, Even the past game, if you look at the numbers, like you mentioned, it's been pretty spectacular. But Iowa just finds some way to lose the games down the stretch, like against the Northwestern. And like I said, it was the David Bell show at the beginning. As far as the weakness, I, you know, it's hard for me to really pinpoint a lot. I think that number one that stands out to me, you know, can be those explosive pass plays. Even against Michigan State, uh, Jalen Naylor had two 55-plus yard receptions in that game, which got him down the field in scoring position. Iowa ultimately did hold them uh, because it's a bend-don't-break defense. David Bell, again, had a number of explosive plays. I think if, if, if Levis – or Clifford, depending on who gets to start, if they can complete a couple of those deep shots, I think it will put Iowa's defense on their toes. And, you know, it's interesting. You bring up the sack numbers. It's gotten better the last couple of weeks, but I'm still not really sold on who's a pure pass rusher. Zach Van Balkenberg has three and a half sacks on the year. Well, three of them came last week, and that was when Minnesota was completely deflated, I think, at that point. And as far as Iowa giving up a touchdown to Minnesota – Iowa threw in their second team defense in the last series of the game and PJ Flat kept his first team offense. I don't know if you read that they called uh, the timeout, got, right? Yeah, had the yeah. best passive aggressive battle, which was just phenomenal. And and Kirk never dropped zingers, but he seems extra fired up. He said they were gonna leave the timeout, uh, take Floyd home, Floyd Rosedale, and leave the timeouts there. And again, I can't ever think of Kirk ever saying anything like that. So that was interesting to me in the sense of, you know just the swagger that Kirk's trying to carry for this team. Uh, but as far as weak points go again, I think you go downfield. I still think you run the ball to set the play action. And I think at times Iowa can get caught off guard with scrambling quarterbacks. So whether it be Clifford, whether it be Levis, both those guys, remember Iowa did recruit Levis very hard. I thought they were going to land him until Penn state came in with that offer. So I've, I was pretty familiar with his high school film. He's a very athletic guy. And if he can get out of the pocket and Iowa gets caught slipping on the quarterback spy, I mean, we saw a couple of years ago, I think when Trace McSorley came back into the game after that injury scare and ran, I think, 55 yards down mm-hmm. the field and scored the touchdown, which ultimately sealed the deal for them. So go downfield and find opportunities for quarterback runs. And I think that uh, 
that'll be a good strategy for Penn State. You mentioned Kirk Ferentz and 22 years now at Iowa. That's just basically just unheard of in this day and age for any level of football, for someone to stick on the job that long. Um, and and look, they're not winning 10, 11 games every year, but it's at least eight victories in the last five seasons, uh, double digit win totals in 15 and 19. And here we are, uh, you know, a team that seems to be playing pretty well on the upswing for this 2020 season right now. Um, what do you think that comes from? We talked last year and you felt like there, there maybe Iowa was, was approaching some kind of tipping point with the fan base saying, Hey, it's time to look away and look toward the future. Where does that all stand right now? Is this just the, is this Kirk Ferentz in the driver's seat until he doesn't want to do it anymore? Um, is, is, does he have that kind of benefit of the doubt? Yeah. You know, I think if anything through the summer has taught me from a football standpoint, it's that I think this refired up Kirk rather than shut him down because now I think it's about, can he change the culture of Iowa football? Can he go back and really leave, you know, the school legend because he doesn't want to, you know, I think that the events over the summer, uh, they damaged his legacy. I mean, it really did. And whether he did keep his job, his players, a lot of former players still came to his defense, but now I think he's, I think this really holds him into his, I want to stay into his contract. I mean, I have a hard time seeing him leave in in the next three years because I think that he has to rebuild the culture, make it a better culture. And I still think he has to deliver on the field. And it's an interesting point when you talk about the last five years for Iowa, not, not including this year, but they had 40, I believe 47 wins, which is the most in a five-year period in school history. And, you know, according to 24 seven sports and the 2021 class, Iowa's number 23 in, in um, the team rankings, they have eight four-star prospects. So they're recruiting at a higher level too, despite the events of the summer. So it's a very interesting circumstance. I think the thing that damages most, Tyler, is I don't think Brian Ferentz is guaranteed the head coaching job anymore, unless it's five years down the road, if not more. And he's proven to kind of reel in what had happened. The culture changed. And he becomes more of a, I don't want to say fan favorite, but He's got to earn some good, good reputation around with the fan base if he wants to take over. And I'll say, you know, and, and with so many famous Iowa alums, I mean, Mark Stoops might want the job. LeVar Woods, Iowa special teams coordinator is a long life Iowa guy. Uh, so I think the biggest thing it changes is who's going to take over for Kirk. And I think that really just it, it's going to keep Kirk here for another two or three years. I Again, I think that he has to fix his legacy. He won't ever admit that. But I think the writing's kind of on the wall for that. Well, last year was about the on-field performance that Penn State lost was the second straight against a ranked Big Ten opponent, Michigan, the week before, and they scored 15 total points in those two losses. After Mm -hmm. that, though, after they lost to Penn State at home last year, six of seven, they won. They ended up uh, with a bowl victory uh, in the Holiday Bowl over Southern Cal. And so things finished on a high note. But as you said, this offseason threw a major curveball on your beat with your coverage and and, and what Kirk Ferentz and what his reality looks like there in Iowa City. Um, Getting back to the reality that awaits here on Saturday, there's got to be a lot of of revenge tour vibes about this Iowa team coming. They can smell the blood in the water with an 0-4 Penn State team. They have lost some heartbreakers, a really close one last year um, at home, uh, one two years before at home on the last second. A year uh, last time they went to Beaver Stadium, Nate Stanley throws an interception on the goal line, and, and Penn State puts that one away. Just seems like dramatic wins uh, repeatedly for Penn State. Nothing where they're running away from from Iowa. It, does this feel like like Iowa's coming to town, ready to lay some kind of smackdown, or do you think that externally people are buying in more to Penn State being zero and four than Iowa's buying into them encountering an zero and four team? 
Yeah, that's again, that's another really interesting question, Tyler. I think the vibe around Iowa based on my interviews with the players and the coaches is if you take if you take away the score and you take away the results and you look at Penn State on film, Penn State is still Penn State. They have a lot of talented guys. Um, and I think that again, there's always, I feel like there, maybe you'll disagree with me on this. I always feel like when a team is on a losing streak against a team, there's always that mental block or that mental hurdle that they have to overcome. And I think Brian Ferentz can get in his own head at times. I think he's evolving as a play caller, but he can get too aggressive and it can cost Iowa. I think of Nebraska a couple of years ago when they went for it on fourth and three inside their own 10 yard line, which a field goal probably would have put that game out of reach. But Nebraska took the ball 97 yards after they stopped Iowa on the fourth down, and they were right back in the game. So I think that there's a mental block for Iowa and a mental hurdle that they're going to have to overcome. And I think they respect Penn State for their talent and for being Penn State and for the fact I believe it's it's six in a row right now Penn State has won over Iowa. And again, all the players and all the coaches have said that you don't look at their record. They are better than an 0-4 record. This is not an 0-4 team. And they said, if we go into there thinking they're gonna, we're going to lay a smackdown on them, like we're going to run away with the game because they're 0-4, then Iowa's going to lose. Spencer Petras said that's the worst possible thing that they can do. And I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, he, he opened up and said that he talked with Nate Stanley a lot over the past couple of weeks. I would be very surprised if Nate Stanley and Petrus did not talk specifically about this Penn State game because, as you mentioned, Nate Stanley struggles and even Petrus' struggles right now through the beginning of the season. So as far as Iowa overlooking Penn State, I don't think that's the case. And I think that even though Iowa's Big Ten hopes are seemingly shot, there's still a very small chance. It's I don't think it's going to happen. But I think that they see a lot of of things to play for in terms of moving forward into next year, knowing, hey, we beat these guys last year. We can do this. Uh, the next year. So I think from that standpoint, I think there's a whole lot for Iowa to play for. And like you said, from Penn state, I think Penn state, there's a whole bunch to play for, for Penn state, but you know, I think all the pressure right now is on Iowa. Can they go into Beaver stadium and get the job done? Well, fifth year senior on the Iowa Hawkeyes roster right now has lost to Penn state every year. He's been a part of this team. So I'd imagine there is some motivation coming in. There also should be plenty of motivation for Penn state to avoid their first Owen five start in program history. If that doesn't motivate you, I'm not sure what will uh, last one here for you. And then we'll get you out of here and get you back to work. Uh, Iowa wins this game. If Iowa loses this game, if, and w- what's your prediction? All right, so Iowa wins if they can run the football and Petrus can avoid turnovers. I think if Iowa wins turnover battle, and if, if Iowa can rack up, I'd say, you know, let's go 180 rushing yards and Tyler Goodson gets a touchdown, I'd feel pretty good about where Iowa's at. And I think on the defensive side, if they put pressure on Sean Clifford, on Levis early and make them rattled from the start of the game to the finish, I think that's been a big part in Iowa's last two wins. They've had an, on opening drives – in the last two games, they've had five combined pressures. And I think that that has played an impact on the offenses going forward against them through the rest of that game. Um, and we, I haven't mentioned this either, though. Iowa's special teams has been phenomenal this year, whether it be punt returning, uh, kickoff returning, uh, Keith Duncan, and their 23-year-old punter who had never played American football before this season is among the nation's best punters. So Iowa, I think a big advantage, which has lost them in previous games, is they've not punted the ball well against Penn State the last couple of years. There's really going to be no issue with that with Tory Taylor at Ponteries. Again, I think he's probably a first-team all-caliber guy. Iowa loses if Sean Clifford gets confidence because I think Sean Clifford's going to start. You're much more tied in than I am, obviously, the Penn State beat. 
I think Will Levis is going to start. If that if that changes anything about what you're about to say, I think Will Levis is going to get the starting nod. I don't know that for sure. We're we're speculating all week, but sure. I, I would just be very surprised at this point based on the turnovers that Clifford has accrued yeah. and just the uncomfortable nature with which he has played if Will Levis doesn't get the first crack at this thing and see where it takes him. Yeah, I, I think I, it still plays in my second point about Penn State if they win. I think if they can get the if they run some RPOs, if they can get the quarterback out in open space and run and make Iowa's defense feel flustered and really knock off Iowa's communication, because I think Iowa's communication the last two weeks has been elite. I think that's why they've held these teams in check. The first game, they've said their their communication is horrible. So I think if the running game for Penn State gets going and they take a couple shots keep, uh, downfield and they complete them, if they can rattle Iowa's defense, I'd feel pretty good about that. And as far as what Penn State can do, make Spencer Petrus beat you. I mentioned that earlier. I think you have to make Petrus take some shots downfield, try to get in a quick rhythm and slow down the Iowa run game. I think if that happens, Penn State will be walking away with a win. And I, I, that's a great stat about the 0-5 start because I did not know that uh, getting into this game. So that I might have to account for that. It's, great is one way to phrase it. Well, <laughs> it's just from a stat. From, yeah, I know from what you a mean. stat standpoint. As far as a prediction, I'm, prob- I, I'm probably going to change it in a couple of days. I think Iowa gets the job done because I tweeted this last week during the Penn State game. If Iowa can't beat this Penn State team with the way I thought they looked last week, I don't know when Iowa will go at Beaver Stadium and beat Penn State. I'm going to go Iowa. I'm going to go 31-27. I think Penn State does find a way to score points. I think I think Devin Ford slated to start at running back, correct? Yes. I think Devin Ford is going to find a way to run the football. But I think Iowa will make one more play, whether it be in the kick return game. And I don't think Iowa shoots themselves in the foot as much as they did in the past two weeks. So I'll go 31-27. It's going to be a lot closer to a game. I know that it's a basically a pick em. I know some Iowa fans – it's interesting, too, really quick. Iowa fans feel like Penn State's going to win this game, at least on our message board. I have seen much more predictions for Penn State over Iowa than vice versa. So uh, Penn State fans might want to hear that. And, that, again, that, a little bit surprising to me. It sounds like your message board has more optimism about this Penn State team than <laughs> our message board, which, you know, that that's kind of the circumstances here in 2020 when, when you're winless and it's almost Thanksgiving. But I think it's the respect for Penn State, too, with the prestige of the program. And you really can't talk too much smack uh, smack when a team's beat you six straight times, six no matter how either team's yeah. looking. I, I, I agree with you. We'll see if that streak snaps or if Penn State can extend it on Saturday. Uh, I'm going to get into my predictions here on the podcast with Sean Fitz in just a moment. And, and we're in a similar ballpark. I'll tell you that much. We see this one being a tight, tight game down to the wire, kind of like how all these games have been with Iowa of late. David, thank you so much for your coverage. Uh, we appreciate it. And again, hope, hope to see you in person in the press box in Iowa City next fall. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Stay safe. Good talking to you. Thanks again. And David, a quick note earlier in the episode, I think I may have mentioned it during that conversation too, uh, five wins in the last five years for Penn State. It's actually four wins in the past four years going back to 2016. Uh, The other two that are tacked onto that six-game win streak are from 2012 and 2011. Just clarifying there. So Franklin 4-0 against Iowa. Uh, We'll see if that holds up here. And and actually, we'll we'll see what we think about that because it's prediction time. Uh, Sean, Mark Brennan, uh, reversing course. We both went with Penn State last week to pull off the win at Nebraska. Mark took the Cornhuskers this time around. He goes Penn State winning 24-21. to We don't have so good news for Penn State fans. Uh, we're both picking Iowa to put up 24 points. We're both picking Iowa 
to make that enough to win the game. I've got 24-22 Hawkeyes winning. You've got 24-20. Spoiler alert. Sorry, I didn't let you say it yourself, but we're of same mind here, it would seem, in terms of the outcome. And 0-5, Sean, I I mean, that just doesn't sound real to think about, but that's what we both anticipate. We've, we've, yeah, we both anticipate. I, I told you last week that, uh, that I was not going to fall in the trap of picking Penn State again, um, after what we saw, you know, against Maryland, against Nebraska, all that stuff. So I, I actually think they can win. Uh, definitely think that they, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure what to make of this Iowa team. They're two and two. Um, you know, they're coming off of wins against Michigan State and Minnesota. I mean, basically outside of Ohio State and, and even, I guess, Indiana to a stretch and Wisconsin or to a stretch if they ever going to play again. You, I mean, does anybody really? know it how good these big 10 teams are they're just kind of eating each other alive there's three teams in the big 10 east that are one and three and it's just kind of like what are we doing here like who's who's good who's bad you know penn state seems better than their record and uh you know you've got uh, i don't know it's just it's it's such a weird year i i could sit here and try and rationalize it it's just not gonna make any sense i mean not that that's a surprise to our listeners because i don't make sense half the time anyway uh but it's it's really just uh such a weird year and you've got losses to purdue and northwestern then you turn it around you beat you beat up on michigan state and minnesota but as we've seen michigan state and minnesota you know have some of the worst losses in the in the conference so far this year so I don't know. I mean, I just typically expect Iowa to be really the same team each year. We mentioned the issues at quarterback. You know, if he's throwing the ball around and, and gets picked off, I mean, that's certainly something that could go in Penn State's uh, in fa- in their favor. But you always expect a good running game. You always expect, you know, one of those wide receivers just to be a pain in the butt. And, and, and that's kind of what you get with Iowa. So um, I don't know that there's a, a, a general formula here. Um, but, you know, that 24 to 20 is – it. You know, it seems like a pretty popular score to pick this week. Yeah, I got twenty four twenty two. Uh, just just a little different, and um, you know, Petrus. This was something that David said. If Petrus is throwing thirty plus pass attempts, that's probably bad news for Iowa. The key is can Penn State, you know, eliminate that ground game and eliminate turnovers on their end. And you know, that's kind of been Clifford's big problem. If Clifford's not in the equation this game, does that work itself out? We also get a four quarter. A look at Will Levis, and and we don't know what that looks like really. Last time we saw it, I don't think that performance against Rutgers is enough to beat this Iowa program in this particular case. And we'll see. I, I you know I absolutely think Penn State can win this game, uh, but they now have three consecutive weeks where they have fallen behind by double digit points after the t- opposing team's second possession. In three straight games. That that's a that's a that's a trend that's hard to ignore. The last couple. You were the favorite in that game. Now you're a slight underdog, and um, I, I can at the 24-22 should should tell you. I think that they're a Jake Pinnaker field goal or a, a Jordan Stout field goal away from winning this game at the end of the day. But I just, I guess, I'll have to believe it when I see it when it comes to Will Levis giving you that much of a bump where this offense is is ready to, to go out there and, and look efficient and, and avoid issues and, and really, to be honest with you, score more than 24 points against Iowa uh, in this matchup on Saturday. And um, the ground game is going to be very important again. We saw pro, pro, uh, progress there against uh, Nebraska 
Does that carry over? Does this offensive line handle itself well against an Iowa defensive uh, front that I think is probably the best defensive front they have faced since the Ohio State matchup? That's a big question, Mark. And there's just too many questions that they keep stacking up for me. Um, so I'm going to avoid picking Penn State again. Maybe, maybe people will appreciate that we're not picking Penn State because we haven't been very good at, at, at cashing in on those picks. But uh, we're both picking Penn State to fall to 0-5. And, 5 and boy, uh, did, just to, to hear myself say that on the Lions 24-7 podcast, five weeks after we started this thing out is just is just bizarre to, to Bizarre to say the least, and and you can really just go towards uh, really frustratingly sad for the guys who are in that Penn State team facility right now, and and knowing how they thought this thing was going to turn out, and 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 for us to say it's you're going to get to Thanksgiving and still not have a win in 2020, it's that's just brutal. That's brutal. And so what you're saying is maybe we can be the reverse jinx. I got it. Yeah. Maybe. You know, give us credit for the win. That's right. Uh, if it happens and uh, whether whether it happens or not, we'll be back to talk about it with you on Saturday. We, we do want to jump into uh, some recruiting stuff before we finish off. Uh, some recruiting rankings changes that we kind of teased in the last episode came to fruition. But first off, more offers going out late in the 2021 cycle of recent. Uh, we, we talked about a running back. We talked about an offensive tackle getting offers. Now wide receiver Harrison Wallace, uh, who's been committed to Duke for about a month or so. He got a bunch of offers in just the last five or six weeks. Did not have a power five offer going in to October. And Sean, all of a sudden he's in that top 24 seven. It's like, okay, everything's changed, but the kid can't visit anywhere. Uh, he's got all these offers to consider. This is exactly the kind of scenario that you could never see playing out where the, the dream comes true, all the opportunities open in front of you, and you're relegated to doing it on your phone camera or your computer, and you can't really experience the national recruitment process. And that's probably why you're seeing a lot more of these offers go out. I mean, you don't obviously don't have the space to, to get all these guys in, but your hit rate has obviously been low for the 2021 class. And, you know, it's obviously going to, uh, going to continue that way towards signing day as all these, these schools are kind of, uh, in that crunch mode where they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with, uh, with, with the remaining scholarships. Harrison Wallace, uh, apparently big impression by, by Penn State, uh, or made by Penn State. He talked to Steve Wilfong this week. I uh, told Steve that, you know, out of all these offers that have, have come through, Penn State is the one that, you know, really catches his eye. We'll see what happens. It, there, there's interesting situations all over the place because, you know, a guy like uh, Harrison Wallace, but a guy like Deshaun Morrell, you know, you haven't gotten a chance to get on campus to these places to that are trying to flip you. But on the flip side, you really haven't been a, you gotten a chance to, to see coaches on campus or anything like that of the schools that you're actually committed to. So again, none of this makes any sense in 2021, but here we are. And that's, that's kind of the, the hand that you've been dealt. They're still trying to add a wide receiver. Um, you know, Harrison Wallace is a guy got a big bump by 24 seven sports this week. I don't think that's any, com- you know, uh, coincidence that Penn State all of a sudden, you know, wants to throw its hat in the ring just, uh, to based off of that. But, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, I think this is kind of what you can see with the rest of this 2021 class as they try to fill spots. They want an offensive tackle. You want a couple of defensive ends. You, you know, you're looking at, other best player available. So you got two really good wideouts, but at the same time, you know, that's where a lot of the athletes are. So just all over the place trying to just add bodies. Um, you don't know exactly what those numbers are going to be because it's going to be, you're going to get two years from now and have to deal with, uh, you know, a- additional moves that you would have made on your roster. So it's just be a very interesting close to this, to, to the, uh, the cycle. It's not, I don't think it's going to be, uh, tremendously exciting or anything like that. 
excuse me, a lot of uh, the big names already off the board. But, you know, I, I still think that there will be some recruiting to be done heading up to December. And there's some spots that they certainly need to fill just to fill out to that fill out that class, which now ranks uh, number 25 in the 24-7 sports team rankings after the uh, rankings overhaul this week. Harrison Wallace out of Pike Road High School in Alabama, Penn State, Maryland, South Carolina, Virginia, the latest to offer him. And it's not like you're, t- you're trying to convince him to turn his back away from what he would consider home. He committed to Duke in October, I think six days after picking up an offer from Duke. And Duke was his second Power 5 offer, period. So... Uh, interesting set of circumstances there. Um, a wide receiver, you're feeling better about what Penn State has. We, we discussed before Liam Clifford jumping up to a four-star during the season and Lonnie White jumping all the way up to number 71 in 24-7 sports rankings. Uh, don't look now, but he's ahead of Dante Thornton all of a sudden, Sean. I know that was a big deal to a lot of people, but gives you an indication of the impression that this young man has made with, with a limited season here in 2020. Gets you excited about what could lie ahead for him. Remember, this is a former Clemson baseball commit, number 71 overall. That puts him at number four in Pennsylvania uh, class rankings. And oh, by the way, Penn State has three blue chips in Pennsylvania all of a sudden. They've got Lonnie White, who was elevated to a four-star, I think, in the, in the late spring. Now he's a top 100 prospect. You've got Nate Bruce out of Harrisburg High School, the offensive lineman, now a 24-7 sports four-star. And then Khalil Dinkins, a tight end, maybe a linebacker long-term, we'll see, uh, out of the Pittsburgh area. Now a four-star as well. So a lot of people have been screaming about this in-state recruiting class and, and some of the big fish that are going to leave. All those things are still true in terms of not being able to, to, to keep a lot of these kids home. But the ones you are keeping home, I, I feel like they're starting to gain more respect. And uh, I think the, the 24-7 Sports Rankings Council uh, did, did a little bit of a favor there in terms of uh, a shot in the arm about this in, in-state recruiting class. Not that these guys didn't earn it, but I think people start to process it and recognize it. And now that, oh, we're just getting a bunch of three stars from in the state, that kind of goes out the window when we're talking about Lonnie White, Nate Bruce, and Khalil Dinkins. Well, I think that the the issue there is is kind of the big picture with the rest of that class is the issue with the the class is not the guys that they got in. I mean, there's mm-hmm. quality in that class for sure. I think what eight eight four stars now um, and six three stars, which you know is a pretty good ratio right there. Um, but at the same time, it's it's going to reflect on the guys that they miss. But you know, just looking at the guys that they got, Nate Bruce obviously didn't have much of a senior season, but in what he was able to show, and that's kind of the important thing for the offensive lineman is you know showing your flexibility, your bend, you know, just your physical development and things like that is going to be, uh, you know, almost more, not, I won't say almost more important than your play, but, you know, you want to see some of those things on tape that, that you kind of, uh, you know, thought to yourself, okay, if he improves here and improves this, this, uh, you know, with his balance and things like, you know, just little things, if he improves there, then you can make that jump. And, and he did that. Dinkins, you know, obviously we love as an athlete. He's coming in as a tight end. Uh, still think he can be a really good linebacker and, and play linebacker at that size. But, you know, we'll see what happens with his career at tight end. Also, some other guys, you mentioned Austin Uke, uh, out of, uh, Dallas. Uh, Holy Cross, probably the, the uh, excuse me, a Holy Cross commit, probably their first ever four star commit. I would venture to guess. Um, Maybe short lived. Yes, he's probably not going to stick with uh, Holy Cross USC 
Penn State, Vanderbilt, uh, and a number of offers have come through. I think South Carolina offered last week. Um, so, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's going to take off for him and it's going to get real, real quick for Austin UK. Uh, really nice kid that I talked to last week, uh, from Dallas. Um, Kalen King, Jamari Budden, a couple of Penn State commits debuted in the top 247. Uh, nice to see those guys, uh, you know, move up. I'm a big, big fan of Kalen King, obviously. That was the Sean Fitz special right there. He's, he got, he got the Sean Fitz seal of approval a long time ago for that four star bump. Well, he's got these, you know, he's got those testing numbers. And then you, you see him. I watched that King, uh, versus Cast Tech game this year. And, you know, he was obviously the biggest stud on the field. So, uh, really, really big fan of Kalen King. I think he can come in. I think he can possibly play early. Um, you know, I, I, you know, he's got, uh, just so much to like offense, defense, special teams. He's going to be a corner at Penn State. Uh, but really, really good player there. And, uh, I'm excited to see. I think he's a 206. Budden moved up. Uh, you know, still some questions about his, his game as a linebacker in terms of reading and instincts and all that kind of stuff, but has made some strides as a senior, plays on a phenomenal Belleville team, and, and that's kind of what sucks. You, you were supposed to see Cass Tech, Kalen King, and Kobe King against Jamari Budden and Belleville this week. Um, Michigan has paused all activities, so if they play, it's going to be in December, and that's a big maybe. So unfortunately, kind of got cheated out of one of the, the top games in Michigan um, You know, in the last thing, 10 years, Alan True said. So um, a lot to like with these, uh, with these updates this week uh liam clifford and and jalen reed were both in the the very bottom of that top 247 had some guys jump ahead of them be 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 really interesting to see sort of the the uh you know the tracking of some of these guys because you've got states like virginia that are going to play in the spring do we continue to rank through the spring and is we when we see these guys move it will probably be pretty drastic because you know just we just went so long without being able to evaluate so i think that's kind of what you're seeing with guys like uh bruce and dinkins um i don't want to call it confirmation bias but like you 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 thought you saw something in these guys and then they come out as seniors and they do some big things and you know i think that's kind of what we're seeing with uh with some of this penn state 2021 class no games for for many players across the country some games for others abbreviated seasons and by the way that's coming off of a year in which we had almost no off-season camp circuit usually that is leaned upon heavily the regional camps, the national camps, where you can really see the four stars versus the four stars and the five stars versus the five stars in a showcase setting really didn't happen this year. So there are, if if this is ever the year for diamonds in the rough to emerge once they are already on a college campus, uh, get ready for it moving forward because there's going to be a lot of guys as good as our 24-7 sports recruiting team is and and our rankings council is. It's, it is a really tough year to, to find everybody and identify everyone and evaluate them completely. And uh, tough job for them. Hats off to, to that group. We appreciate them for joining the podcast from time to time, whether it's Brian or Alan or Steve uh, over the course of this. And, and we'll have them on soon as signing day approaches. By the way, lest we forget, Landon Tengwall sitting tight right around number 80 in the top 24-7. One of those who did not get to play as a senior because Maryland uh, had football shut down at the high school level. He has held steady. And, and if he stays there Uh, he will be third in the Franklin era among all offensive linemen who have signed with them behind only Rasheed Walker and Michael Mennett in terms of where their ranking was at when they came out of high school so still a lot of excitement applied to him it feels like he committed forever ago um, back in in late March but uh, he will be a big addition to this offensive line uh, in 2021. Sean we covered a lot of ground this one glad we could get to the recruiting stuff Uh, I guess we'll just wait and see with Will Levis, Sean Clifford when we have something to report it will be up online it's 24 seven um in the meantime i i guess uh we'll, we'll see if we are that reverse jinx for the fans out there 
Yep, that's what we're good at, reverse jinx. Uh, you know, I feel like Penn State does, you know, have a little bit of momentum coming off of that game last week. Obviously, didn't finish the way that they wanted to, but you just feel a little bit more hopeful seeing the way that they started clicking and moving the ball and doing some good things on defense. So hopefully that can carry over. If not, it might be, an in, it might be in for another ugly football game. You'd feel a lot more hopeful if they can get through the first seven, eight minutes of this game, and it looks a lot different than the previous three because that would be a huge step in the right direction. Get rid of some of those early game trends. Otherwise, it's going to feel like deja vu all over for everybody again, and that snowball effect will come into play once more. Uh, For Sean Fitz, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll talk to you after the game on Saturday. Between now and then, uh, wishing you all well.